0: Hey, yo, welcome to Big Sky Breakdown, Culture Nuanas. As, as always, you can find the Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. New format here, we're just doing all analysis all the time. And then interviews, sometimes we'll have a separate interview podcast for you. Sometimes we'll just let you find the interviews here uh, on the Nuanas Now podcast and the other podcasts as well. Spread the love. Across the podcast, Big Sky Breakdown, presented in part by Blackfoot Communications and in part by Alpine Touch. Same lineup as always, except we've got a new guy contributing as well. In fact, he interviews me, and so then I become a contributing analyst to this as well as my- as uh, I try to give you analysis when I'm leading the way uh, either way uh, so we'll hear from Ty Gregorak longtime assistant coach at the Big Sky Conference level for both Montana and Montana State we'll here from Brooks Nuanez my uh, brother and business partner co-founder of Skyline Sports and then we'll hear from Andrew Houghton a segment from Nuanez Now earlier this week and then also gonna start including my Blue and Gold Thursdays with Dave Wooten from K-Sky Country there in Bozeman I do a Thursday show with him as well as a pregame show both on K-Sky Country so be sure to check that out as well so we'll include that here in the Big Sky Breakdown, as well, get things kicked off though with Coach Chai. Please enjoy the Big Sky Breakdown for this week, the second to last week of October. Guys, with the five four four numbers, not to give away your cell phone number, but you got an OG Missoula cell phone number. There's a co- only a couple numbers where it started, and you had one of the first original cell phones that was happening in Missoula. So that must make you feel really good.
1: It makes you feel real, real good, Culture. I, uh, you know, I, I was on that first staff. Yep. Back there in The winter of Oath. oh, and I have uh, I have had the exact same cell phone number since 2003, which is actually the, the what's even more funny, especially with just the way the world is today, and kids and their phones. And I didn't get a cell phone until I would for Bobby and Coach Niehausel at Washington post college. So I had a 206 Seattle number, some just you know crud flip phone I think it was like an Ericsson or something and then when i got to missoula i got my my 406 number and i've had it ever since but yeah you don't have to tell the, the whole show what the what the whole number is culture but yes old school missoula number never going to change it
0: <laughs> you gotta love it um Let's talk about this weekend's games. Uh, first, before we get into the get- Cats and the Grizz, there was a moment in time during the Eastern Washington-Idaho game that I thought that Eastern was going to score 100 points. It looked like it was in the cards. They had 64 at the end of the third quarter. Eric Barry already had seven touchdown passes, 600 yards. Uh, so Eastern's rolling right now. Idaho also, towards the end of that game, looked like they completely gave up. It was very, very uh, odd to watch. But uh, Eastern's putting up numbers like I've never seen before.
1: Yeah, it's it is uh, remarkable what they're doing, and when you when you do look at the score each week, and and you know it's it's a bummer because I've got multiple buddies on the defensive side of the ball for Idaho, some that I've worked with, some that I've coached. and I won't name names because they're probably licking their wounds right now. But man, I mean this this kid. We, I mean we know he's good. I mean their whole offense is good. What's crazy to think for me is, and you know, like I just said, joined the league of 2003. It seems like. East, even when Eastern wasn't making, you know, uh, long, play, uh, uh, deep playoff runs, their offenses were always explosive. High-power offense, fantastic quarterback play, skill guys surrounding him. And what these guys are doing is it's, it's like they're, they're breaking their own records, you know, from from, from the, the early 2000s to mid 2000s to late 2000s, 2010. They make a national championship run. Cooper Cup. I mean, look what Cooper Cup is doing every Sunday. My wife loves that. I, she, she asked me when we were picking our fantasy team. She's like, what do you think about Cooper? And I'm like, uh, if you don't take I am, you know, and she got him. So uh, what they're doing, though, is insane. I mean, it's just insane statistics, and they're not even playing the whole game. I mean, like you, you, you mentioned three digits, 100 points. You keep the starters in, it might, it might get weirdly close to that. It, 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 it's nuts, nuts.
0: 836 yards of total offense. Dude had 600 yards passing at the end of the third quarter. That's all to say, though, I thought that as amazing as all that was, the most striking part was towards the end of the third quarter into the fourth quarter. Idaho's defensive backs looked like they were jogging, and uh, that in itself is concerning because you got a coach in a contract year. I don't want to go down that road too much, speculate too hard, but um, it's not pretty what we're seeing in Moscow. And, and also, though, Idaho, the one feather in their cap since they returned to the league is that they have played well against Eastern Washington. They've beaten either- Eastern Washington, so that was a little bit of a revenge game for the Eagles as well.
1: Oh, totally! I, uh, that was one of the root games I got to do last year. Was that game? And uh, y- yes, I mean they, they I mean all, you know, just, just uh, regionally and uh, you know a lot of fan base that's just right there in that area in, in Coeur d'Alene, Spokane, and Eastern Washington. And uh, yeah, I, they, they got a, they got a long long uphill road, man. It's um, Eastern Eastern's playing so well. You know, you know, I've been impressed. Uh, I don't know if you've ever interviewed uh, Coach Ina, their, their, their uh, defensive coordinator, fantastic guy.
0: I, really I went to school with nice Sarah with when she team. was at uh, Montana playing for well, the Lady News exactly. basketball team.
1: I- I- exactly. So, and Sarah was a great player. Sarah was a stud. Um, but, yeah, I just feel like, you know that 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 they had some really tough times there uh, in the last couple of years, just defensively. And and I really thought Jeff Schmetting. You and I you and I talked about that when when Schmed left for Boise, and he's now at Auburn. Um, I thought I thought that was going to be a real big big loss for them because I really thought he had put them um, and, and he took his lumps as, as a defensive coordinator, and then he got them really good. They were really playing good, and then had some guys graduate, some defensive coaches change, and I just think coaching has done a really good job on that side of the ball as well. Obviously, compliment the most explosive uh, offense in FCS.
0: All right, let's talk about the Cats and the Grizz. Uh, the Bobcats go down to Weber State, a 13-7 victory on the road over the number 19 team in the country. Bobcats now 4-0 in Big Sky Conference play, 6-1 overall, their sixth straight victory. Montana, on a beautiful Saturday afternoon in Missoula, celebrated the 20th anniversary of their 2001 national championship team. And a guy who played on it might have been the star of the day. That's Sac State defensive coordinator Andy Thompson. Sac had Montana spinning offensively. They had no idea where to go with the ball. No ability to really even move the ball. They rolled up four sacks. They forced three turnovers. And Sac State comes into Washington Grizzly Stadium. First win ever against the Grizz in Missoula in 13 previous matchups in the venue. Uh, 28-21 the final score. So now Sac State 3-0 in Big Sky play. Montana 1-2 losing two straight Big Sky conference games. It's been a minute since that's happened to Montana. It's probably only happened two three times in the last 30 years so uh definitely an interesting situation the Grizz are in as well so Ty I'll let you start with whatever game you want to start with
1: well let's start with uh, so I actually got to watch them both uh, let's start with the one that happened first and I told you I I was worried I was concerned just because MSU hasn't fared very well in Ogden lately and, and, and you told me that it was 2013 since their last win I I was well again defensively they are they are playing really really well. I was so thrilled to see the performance that Daniel Hardy put together. Uh, I know he was just named the Defensive Player of the Week for the conference. Um, and I and I and I, I got to tell you, I texted him an hour ago, just like, "Wow, dude, you," because he had been playing well. He really had. I mean, he's fun to watch. You can tell he's really coming into his own, and with the position change. But that was, I mean, that was TJ Watt last night on TV. I mean, I I, I don't get to watch the Steelers much, but. T.J. Watt is a baller. I mean, that guy is a baller, and I just felt like Daniel Hardy really took control of that game himself. A lot of movement, to some some stuff he was doing. He's slippery, and you can just tell he's figured it out. So I was just truly impressed with how the defense continues to play. I don't think I think that I think you and I both know Weber's offense has has, has they've kind of been the Achilles heel. On I mean, they, they've they've got a four year run now where they've been they've been a good team, but I feel like that team you know uh, one or one or co-champ the conference very much because of the defensive play and the job that coach hill does with that defense where the offense was kind of always you know just uh, they, they've, it's kind of been you know who's going to be the quarterback this kid gets hurt the running back i think is a very good player but boy montana state's defense continues to shine some, some just really impressive performance uh by some individual dudes i i think that is a huge win especially with you you know the what their home schedule is like i mean they've got Idaho State coming to town this weekend. it's one in five and, and struggling. So, really big win. Really big win to keep them very much uh, in the uh, in the picture. Saturday looked like an awesome day in missoula would have been fun to be there it was just cool to see all the pictures on instagram and everything so i got there in 03 with with coach hauck but i you know i just know so many of those dudes that were on the 01 team and got to coach a lot of them because they were obviously youngsters in in, in 01 so really thrilled for andy i mean i know i talked him up last week I, I just think he i think he's the best defense coordinator in the league and i think he's I mean, I, I can't, I can't say as to what other defenses are doing statistically. I just think, I think if you look at, if you look at his resume, he is, he's really had a nice career uh, at NAU and Sac, uh, uh, calling the defense. So uh, it was tough to see the Grizz lose. It's tough to um, see them lose to that team for the first time ever at home. I personally, uh, just as a fan now, I don't think the sky is falling, but I do think that it is very much uh, gut check time and they've got some things that they got to get fixed in a hurry if they want to, you know, make a little run here at the end and, and get themselves in position to, A, still possibly compete for a, a conference title, which I think is going to be tough, just, just knowing what Eastern's doing. But it's not, not impossible, but then there's just a playoff picture. But, I mean, again, it's like it took total coach speak here one at a time, trying to go 1-0 and on, on the week. But, but boy, just watching the, some of the stuff that's been going on, really, the last three weeks – Um, because I know there wasn't a lot of people thrilled with their performance two weeks ago against Dixie. Gut check time, and they've got some stuff that that is uh, not broke, but but definitely need to be repaired in a hurry if they want to make a run here at the end of October and November
0: well there's a lot there for sure uh, I want to take it back to the first game the Friday night game and you mentioned Daniel Hardy. He's playing at an unbelievable level that's no that's no question true I think they have as many as maybe seven guys on their defense that are playing at a true all conference level and I'm talking like old school big sky conference like first or second team all conference not like 14th team honorable mention or whatever the hell they're doing now but uh, I think that Daniel Hardy's playing outstanding but I, I was texting with a couple of Montana State people yesterday about this I'm going to go crazy I will go postal if Chase Benson's not first-team all-conference this year. He's not getting statistics. But he just took the best center in the Big Sky Conference, at least the guy on paper that's supposed to be the most decorated center in the Big Sky Conference, and he was his daddy all night on Friday night. He was collapsing the inside of the pocket like nothing else. Hardy is so good because he's so fast in space. But when a guy's flushed, he's going to chase you down. You've got to have him flushed first. Benson's the guy that's flushing him. I think that Benson is the key to all that they're doing. All these guys are getting all these stats. 41 in the middle is the dude that's making it all happen.
1: Don't disagree at all. And, and if you really sit and watch and evaluate the game, you're absolutely right. There are guys like, hey, listen, I'm an old linebacker. I coach linebackers forever. You know, you know what makes a good linebacker? Really good defensive lineman. You know They can, they can, they can uh, two-gap, and they're, and they're keeping guys off and you, off you and keeping you clean. I mean, I, told, I used to tell linebackers nothing was better than when you see a big, beautiful butt right in front of you that right. you know is going to take up one or, two, one or two guys. It's true. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. Chase is a dude. I mean, that, that guy has come so far. He is strong. He is tough. He, guys like him, allow for Daniel to go have for, you know, just an insane game for a to keep playing the way he's playing. Troy Anderson's running clean, and he's going to run clean because he's faster than everybody. But... Um, you're right. I mean, I, I it's guy, it's the, those, those type of guys though, are always the unsung heroes, dude. I mean, we, we had, I mean, sh- think back to when we had all those good linebackers at Montana, it was the Caleb kidders and the Craig Mettlers and, you know, all the, all the Tonga two or,
0: uh, Tonga. to Kai, uh, Brian Waldhauser. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Tom, absolutely. Jesse Tom, Carlson. Yeah, I those, mean, the, there's so many guys, yeah, Alan signs,
1: yeah. right? All those, all those guys or what makes what helps make linebackers great obviously linebackers got to have their own set of skills but i mean you're right that chase chase is allowing for guys behind him to go play really fast and really well right now it's awesome to watch their defense i just feel i mean it's kind of cool for me just kind of knowing how it was when we got here culture and where it is now yep there you know with, with another new coaching change and another new coordinator and I just think it's pretty neat to see because, the, uh, and and I'm not I'm not calling anybody out or, or trying to offend anybody, but we were really our just our defense was really pretty bad when we got here uh, in, in in 16, and it's neat to see them playing. I mean they're they're the best defense in the league right now. I would say I, I would think overall, so it's really cool.
0: Link Sky Breakdown, presented in part by Alpine Touch. All sorts of stuff going on with Alpine Touch. You can win Alpine Touch on my daily radio show. Nuana is now every Monday. You can also get some Alpine Touch from us at our pregame show before each Grizz game on Saturdays. Uh, at home games, that is. And uh, we're also going to give you a chance to win a year of Alpine Touch. All you got to do is follow Alpine Touch, ESPN Missoula, and uh, Haymaker Beef. And we'll give you a Traeger Grill, a year of Alpine Touch, and a Beef Box. So, a pretty good prize. All you got to do is follow all those on Instagram and Facebook. Pretty easy task. Ty Greger at Joe. Joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Uh Ty, back to the Montana game. Uh, Bobby Body put it flatly after the game. He said, Goodbye them, not so good by us. They played really well. We didn't play well at all. Uh, we got to play better. If we don't play well, that's that's what's going to happen. And so sometimes I think in the media when we're asking questions, doing press conferences, there is a lot that goes into a football game, a lot of strategy, a lot of execution or lack thereof, all that stuff. But sometimes it might just be as simple as did you play your best or not? And sometimes when you don't play your best, if the other team does and they're good, they're going to beat you. So, I mean, is it any more complicated than that? Or just, did Zach just outplay and out-execute Montana on Saturday?
1: Listen, I, I thought they did a good – you started by talking about Andy. I thought they did a really nice job coaching. I think They coach did really did good. Really good coach, dude. I mean, so it all plays a part, man. I mean, they, they, could they have played and executed better? Yes. Could they probably have coached better? Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm an armchair quarterback now. Um, Sac State did enough to, to go into the toughest place to play in FCS football and win. And, um, you know, it's, it was a great – great job by them i mean it was so cool for that was the wives trip for sac state too i mean so there's just there's so many connections on that staff that got to be a part of it i mean i i'm i'm really uh bummed for the grizz but i'm also happy for some friends on the other side too um you know like i said they they should feel they should feel good about the opponent coming in this week that being said they need to go they need to go operate and, and play a, a clean fast they need to get you know, Shoot, four or five weeks ago, Colter, we're talking like, hey, hey is this, is this going to be Coach Hawk's year to maybe, maybe, you know, make it back and make a run and maybe finally finally, get to the top of the mountain? There's a ton of question marks. And hey, I've lived it, man. I mean, I've, I've you know, I I've, I've heard the, you know, fire, fire, fire him, fire him. You know, everyone needs to be fired. They've got good coaching. They've got more experience in that coaching staff than any other uh, team in the conference, probably in the nation, man. Um, there's just there's just some like blaring things that, that you know, have popped up starting a few weeks ago that you know even though they, they won by a couple few scores against Dixie, they were kind of rearing their ugly head and then obviously against an athletic uh, sound, Sac State they, they you know they drop they draw to the game so again I I I personally I mean they're gonna they, they're gonna go back to work I don't think I don't think the sky is falling but they they need to they need to you know almost you know just man up this week and say okay it don't matter it doesn't matter how we how we win we're going to win and and things are going to look better this week in terms of just operation execution playing a good 60 minutes of clean football
0: there's a couple things I want to get to on that note. One, I wonder this, and this is just me talking. I'm not trying to lead any horse to water, but Troy Taylor is sort of from outside the box when it comes to all elements of coaching. He has really no Big Sky Conference ties besides the one season he spent with Bo Baldwin at Eastern. But a lot of that was because he wanted to go be a coordinator for a team that had, like you mentioned, a guy like Cooper Cup, who's just so good. And uh, you know, he's not really in this fraternity of Big Sky guys. And he's got a couple guys from the fraternity on his staff, like Craig Paulson and Annie Thompson. But part part of it, part of Bobby Houck's whole uh, strength as a head coach is his ability to lead, his ability to intimidate, his ability to have his team exact their will. Montana's missing a lot of opportunities within games that would create the momentum that Coach Houck wants. But you also wonder if Troy Taylor's 2-0 against Bobby Houck because he's not scared of Bobby Houck.
1: I, yeah, I, I think there's, there's something to that. And, you know, honestly, in, I know you're not trying to lead a horse to water on this one, but, I mean, they got a lot of dudes down right now too, Colter, right? I mean, I, I you don't want to use that as an excuse. They, you know, nobody wants to use that as an excuse because everybody in the middle of October is banged up. I mean, truly, it is a to, 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 make, to make playoff runs, to make conference uh, championship runs, you've got to coach well, you've got to play well. And you got to have some luck in, in regards to both, you know, both on the field and and, and keeping kids healthy. You know, so I th- I think I mean it's a, it's a good uh, it's a good theory. Uh, I I do think that it also helps when you've got hey man I, I I loved the Grizz for a long time. I still love the Grizz. You don't think you don't think that my coaching and my preparation in the three times that I got to face the Grizz was was just at a little bit. Higher level that week, so when you got guys like Andy Thompson who gets to go back and celebrate with all of his homies from a two thousand one national championship, and Craig Paulson who started the thirty seven jersey, do you not think that that week of preparation for those guys is is, is high, high, high energy and intensity? So, uh, I, I mean, it just you're right. They they played them twice and, and lost lost a couple, so I mean they've, they've got their number a little bit right now. I I, I still think you know I mean Montana still Montana, and Sac State is still Sac State in my mind, but Obviously, they've won the last two, so... I mean, it's there's probably a little
2: bit of
0: truth to that, yeah. I mean, Troy Taylor he's is 11 awesome. and 1 in his exactly. it is first 12 big sky conference games. So, until he's knocked off, he's doing pretty darn well. The other thing, Ty, I was thinking about is when you analyze a season just sort of on paper and you're thinking about projections and playoffs and all that sort of stuff, a lot of times if you play a money game, then that's just chalked up as a loss. And so, then you're thinking of your schedule like as a 10 game schedule, okay? We need to go 8 and 2 during this 10 game schedule to get to 8 and 3 because it's almost certain you're going to be 0 and 1. They need to, Montana needs to go uh basically they because they went three and zero in their non-conference they beat washington they only need then one less win really to in terms of the rest of the season to be playoff eligible i'm not saying that that should be a goal i think that the talent that this team has they certainly have the ability to at least win the rest of their football games but it's not as much of a back against the wall situation because they didn't lose the opener to washington
1: no, and that's true, Coulter, and, and yes, you, you. in these conversations, you're going to usually probably get some coach speak out of me. Do you know what they're worried about right now, Coulter? They're, they're worried about beating Idaho.
0: No question, right? man. You that's can't it. let the I last mean, game beat I you mean, in the I, next game, too.
1: Right, right, right. You know, and so uh, I remember you and I talked last week as to why it looked like, I mean, it just looked rusty, and it just looked off, and obviously they were playing a new quarterback last week against Dixie, but... I mean, these are still kids, man. They're human beings. They got home at the crack of dawn from Easter. You know, the, 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 the emotional high and physical high of, of that game, you can kind of see it take its take toll in that Dixie. And, um, hey, man, listen, Coach Taylor, is. A, I've, I've told you, he is a good coach. That offense is not easy. And on the other side of the ball, I think the guy's the best in the league, man. So it just, they've done enough good things uh, in the last two appearances to beat him, period.
0: And then on the Bobcat side of things, I think that the thing I continue to be so impressed with is the fact that the schemes, the coaching change, all those sorts of things, none of that has gotten in Montana State's way. In fact, it's been a completely non-relevant factor. Montana State, when I watch them, it's just their headlining guys doing all everything, making all the plays. I'm like, when you watch them on kickoff, the only starter on defense that's not on the kick team is Troy Anderson. And I thought that was a silly move at first, but then they've been excellent on kick teams even though they don't have a special teams coordinator. Because right now, Montana State is just strictly letting their dudes make plays. And I think that at the end of the day, they might have more dudes than anybody else in the league.
1: Considering the transition uh, and the, the funkiness around Choate leaving and COVID and, you know, all the rumors of this guy's getting hired and then he doesn't want the job and then this guy's getting hired, but then he doesn't want the job. And it, the transition almost looks seamless, which is, which is awesome. I mean, it truly is. I mean, they, they – they, but, but I come back to this is a very veteran group that's been playing together now a long time. And they, a lot of those guys, the Chase Bensons, remember what it was like to be four and seven, all right, and having people beat up on you. So I think I think their core and, and, and their, uh, you know, their, their values, and, and from what I know of Coach Vegan and his background and having a – you know, I, I, I coached against Coach Vegan. I just I, – I, you can't not be, not be impressed. And they're taking care of business uh, against – they're not playing down. That, you know what? Honestly, that's probably one of the mo- things I'm most impressed about. Is they're not really playing down to their opponent's level. I don't think they've had a lot of extremely tough opponents. I don't think Weaver State's offense is much to be desired, in my opinion. They went on the road and won. That's a tough place to go play. I'm, and, and You and I both laughed when we saw him getting off the plane because in the past, that was a bus trip, man. So, so it's nice to see the administration and the fan base take care of them in that regard because that – helps that they just they just got another win a conference win you're telling me you're telling me and, and I know it's not cheap I mean charging a flight and all that is not cheap but I just I'm just impressed with the way this this team is responding to you know the the, the COVID year and the new coaches and you know the new another new coordinator here and this guy was going to be the offensive coordinator but never coached the game and there's been a lot of weird stuff and and it, they just they haven't missed a beat it's pretty cool.
0: So much of it's a testament to the guys, right? I mean, these guys, you can tell this is being run by the players. These guys are very, very, very driven. Like, listening to Ty Okada, their level of confidence defensively is so high. And when you have talent and confidence, that's how you operate at this level.
2: Agree.
1: I mean, it it is. It's fun to, I'm starting to watch some of the press conferences too. And when I listen to guys like Cal O'Reilly and Troy and and tie. They they are they're saying the right things. They're being they're very mature. I think about what they say. They're calculated about what they say. They're being coached well as to what to say. And there is a there is a uh, a confident but not cocky uh, attitude. And and the way the way they're verbalizing things to the media and the fan uh, the fan base and, and to each other is is really cool. It's uh, it's it's pretty fun to watch. Especially you know again just personally, it's fun to watch. Some of these kids, I mean, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel was, I mean, we knew he was athletic, but he was skinny. I mean, he was, you know, but you you knew he had hopefully that in him. And, you know, like I said, Ty walked on from Minnesota, you know, Chase has had some real adversity in his life. Amandre is a drop down from Washington, you know, Troy and all the 14 different positions that he's played (laughs) for the Chats. And uh, it's just, it's, it's impressive what they're doing to really sound. And uh, opponents are not able to do much against them.
0: Well, we could ramble and talk all day, but I got to let you go because I'm coming up on it. Got a show here in just a minute. And uh, there's not much to preview uh, for the two Spud State teams. Idaho is hosting Montana, and Montana State uh, hosts Idaho State. So, uh, I mean, in, in two minutes or less, Ty, there's nothing really to worry about for the, the Montana teams this week, right?
1: No, I mean you can't you can't ever say that. I mean you hey hey who who's Idaho State's defensive coordinator, right? I'm mean, just what Roger Cooper,
0: baby, Montana about? State.
1: Yeah, that's that's right. You know, so so And Mike Ferris, the O. C. and he's a grizz, so ex- ex- exactly. You know, so um at Idaho we know the guys that are there between Mike Buske and I mean they they've got Big Sky roots throughout. Both, team, both teams are struggling to find wins, you know, and, and it's too bad, especially for Coach Fantasy because I love him. Uh, but it's, uh, I think Montana State keeps doing what they're doing. And, you know, like I said, Montana needs to go back to finding that edge, finding that uh, you, you know how Coach Hauk is. You know the way he coaches. You know what he expects. I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked to not see a, a, a Grizzly team come out with that edge this week, in my opinion.
0: Totally agree. He's Ty Gregorek joins us each week here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Thanks for doing it, man.
1: Thank you, Coulter. Have a great week, partner.
0: Yo yo yo! Big Sky Breakdown. Brooks Nuana is joining us now on the Big Sky Breakdown. Big Sky Breakdown can always be found at SkylineSportsMT.com. We got a ton of Big Sky Breakdown stuff for you. Not going to make you an interview Big Sky Breakdown podcast this week because most of the interviews that will be conducted throughout the week, call it Spud Week around here, because it is uh, Idaho State coming to Montana State, Montana going to Idaho. You can find most of those interviews on Nuana's Now podcast. So just go find that. I also did a, a triple dip this week Did the Grizz fan pod on Monday. Fun hanging out with those guys, although three hours a little much for me even, even though I'm a pro. <laughs> I do this for a living and it's still a lot. But It was fun. Fun hanging out with those guys, diagnosing all the issues of the Grizz. It was also fun going on Tubs in the Club on Tuesday night with the Idaho guys. So appreciate Chris and Dallas and Brian and the boys for having me on Tubs in the Club. Thanks to Brent and Luke. And Mike for uh Grizz Fan Pod, and it's always fun going on there and being the analyst rather than the, the host or whatever it is you call me on here on the Big Sky Breakdown. But regardless, um, the reason we're making the rounds twofold. One the games when Montana, Montana State, play Idaho State and Idaho respectively, garner a lot of interest no of the quality of the Idaho teams. It's just the way that it is. It's as Brent Vegan said yesterday in his press conference for Montana State. You look at a map, you see where Idaho State's located. It's very easy to see why this game matters a lot to a lot of people around Bozeman and around the state of Montana. And uh, it's just as simple as that. And so it's always fun getting into it and, and uh, talking about uh, these games. And a lot to get into with the momentum of both the Bobcats and the Grizzlies coming into these games. But Brooks, uh, just your thoughts because it seems like no matter what, even 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 though we're objective and we give all the love to all the teams, especially credit where credit's due, it is just a little bit more fun or a little bit more uh, of a spotlight when Montana and Montana state play Idaho and Idaho, Idaho state.
2: Yeah,
1: man. they're really, they're really traditional rivalries, you know, and and regionally it, it is really relevant, you know, I mean, they're, there's not like a bunch of huge, you know, FBS schools stuck in the middle of all these places. You know, it's it's Idaho State and Idaho fans really understand the landscape of the big sky as well as what it's like to live in a more rural, underpopulated state and have really, really good high school football, which the state of Idaho does. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's regionally really relevant as well as historically. I mean, these teams have battled forever. You, you're going to play these teams every year. You know, but when Idaho comes back to the league, you know, I think it's, it's good for the league um you know after their time as an independent in the Sun Belt
2: so overall yeah
1: these games matter um and they're really fun there's a lot of familiarity especially in the coaching staff on both schools but especially Idaho State I mean packed full of Montana and Montana State alum and former coaches Uh, that that whole part of it is, is a lot of fun too
0: Yeah, I mean, it's both sides, right? I mean, Idaho State has Rob Venese, who was at Montana. Mike Ferreter's at Montana once upon a time. Byron House, the D-line coach, he was at Montana State. Roger Cooper is a Bobcat alum. He's a defensive coordinator there at Idaho State. And then Idaho, Mike Bresky has been multiple stints at Montana. as the D.C. He's the D.C. there there at Idaho. Vernon Smith played for the Grizz on that 2001 National Championship team. He's the cornerback's coach there. And uh, just connections across the board. I mean, of course, Paul Petrino, the head coach at Idaho, is from Helena, Montana. So, uh, by way of Butte. So, uh, definitely a ton of connects, uh, to be sure. Let's talk about last week's game the first Brooks I was talking about the Friday night game between Montana State and Weber State. Twitter thought it sucked. I thought it was glorious. I love me some head banging and some line play and some three and outs. I did think both teams were a little bit stubborn in their play calling. Uh, but that was sort of what it, what both coaches wanted. They wanted it to be a struggle of wills. They wanted it to be a fest like it was. And Montana State's defense—they balled all the way out, man. It was unbelievable performance. And uh, the Bobcats walk out of Ogden with a thirteen-seven victory. That's MSU's first win in Ogden since two thousand thirteen. Your thoughts on MSU's win over Weber State?
1: I mean, gosh, they played really well on defense. You know, both offenses were beyond underwhelming. But uh, I, I, you know, Brent Vegan mentioned it after the game that they. They beat Weber at their own game, you know. So it was kind of going to be – Weber's going to junk it up and, and throw some punches. And I think Montana State was very smart to prepare for that and to recognize that and to adhere to that style and, and not try to go, you know, outside the box too much. Really just go at Weber with, with that same style and say, if this is how you want to play, you know, meet, us, meet us with talent and meet us with effort, and we'll see who wins at the end. And Montana State was able to do that. What was the stat, Colter, after the first drive? Montana State gave up 10 yards rushing. I mean, it's silly. It is silly. And it's not just an inept Weber State team that, that Montana State's doing this to. They're doing it to everybody right now. We've seen some good Montana State defenses in the last four or five years. Um, and, you know, it, even before that, you know, out, ended Rob Asher was, there were was some struggles. But before that, there were some really good defensive teams, too. What they're doing right now is, is some of the most impressive defensive football I've seen um, in a long, long time, and maybe ever, as far as, You know, at all three levels, they're really good. You know, young corners have not been exploited uh, because of that. the linebacker core, you know, making so many plays at the line of scrimmage in the second level and and then that defensive front. Chase Benson's of the world. Amadre Williams, Daniel Hardy are just getting off, you know, guys that are just playing dominant football. All three of those guys, but especially Benson and Hardy are looking at First team all league style season. So the Cavs played really well. I think, undefensively. I think it is it, it, the kind of win that could project propel you through a season. Um, you can hang your hat on win dirty, uh, maybe winning a game that quote unquote you might you shouldn't have. You know, even though on paper they're probably favored in that game with Weaver struggles, but still, it's not easy to come through uh, with a victory on the road against you know the four time defending Big Sky Conference champions.
0: We were, went ninety seven yards on their first drive. They rushed for forty seven yards on their first drive. They get got seven first downs on their first drive. And after that, it was not a nothing, none of it. It was uh, crazy to watch. You texted me during the game, and he said, "How's it going, young corners?" Because the the Montana corner struggled mightily on that opening drive. But then Simeon Woodard and uh, Lavelle Price and um, Eric Zambrano. I guess Zambrano was actually out out for part of that game. But uh, they all seemed to just settle in. And then after that, they were lights out. That was the second most uh, impressive part to me so those guys have been quiet this year and I think that's a good thing because they've been quiet because they haven't been given up much because there has not been much given up period by the Montana State defense yeah
1: I mean there's not really opportunity to like throw it downfield a lot against this team I mean they you know if they're not getting a pass rush you still have three seconds you know they're still getting a push no matter what uh, quarterback hurries are very prevalent uh, with Montana State right now so the corners you know I think that they're I don't know where Tyrell Thomas stands as far as Kind of his, plenty of players respect him. I think the coaching staff does too. But uh, for a guy who's played often and early um, and was a a, a borderline dominant player at times, you know, his freshman, sophomore, even parts of his junior season, um, for him to have to share time with a bunch of freshmen it's kind of odd to me. I don't know, maybe if that's a, you know, internal issue, a behavior issue, uh, an academic issue, a showing up issue. I, I, I don't really know. You know, I've kind of asked about it, but haven't got a bunch of real answers. So, but the fact that they have him is a lot of leadership there, to say the least. So really helps when you when you have young corners to have multiple safeties that have been at FBS programs. You have a guy like Ty Okada who could, you know, really help motivate as well as Tyler Thomas for the experience. And um, I think that really helps when you know, talking about young corners.
0: What I said, that was the second most impressive part of the performance. The first is number 44. Uh, When we were waiting for the interviews after the game in Ogden, Ty Okada was there first, and he said, I don't know why you guys want to talk to me or Matt McKay or anybody. Uh, You guys want to talk to 44 because I think that guy just had 30 tackles and 100 sacks. And it's true, man. Like he, Daniel Hardy, Daniel Hardy's a really talented player. We've covered a lot of really talented guys. I'm not sure there's anybody that's been maximizing their own personal talents to the level that Daniel Hardy has for the first half of his senior season that we've ever covered. He is a player that could be elite if he plays his absolute best all the time. He's playing his absolute best and then some and is absolutely one of the best defensive players in the country. His numbers right now are insane. I mean, this guy might win the buck, Like he's got nine sacks and 15 tackles for loss halfway through the year. And his motor, his chase down, his his speed, relentlessness, competitiveness, sense of the moment, everything, man. I think it's been made very clear on this podcast already that I love Daniel Hardy. I think that he's a phenomenal kid. I think he's so fun to cover his humility and his temper and all that stuff, man. He's just, he's so fun to observe and to chronicle, but I don't know if I've ever really seen a guy that's playing outside of his mind as much as Daniel Hardy is right now.
1: Yeah, I probably have to agree with you, you know, a guy that didn't play football in high school until I think his junior or maybe in senior season. He played one year of high school football, went to a junior college, played two years of, you know, being a skinny defensive end and came in raw to Montana State with mostly just a frame. He's put on a lot of weight, man, and he looks really, really good. You know, when you, when you see his hand in the dirt, it's kind of what I love the most about FCS football, right, Coulter, is that he is probably a guy that just based on specs can't play in the SEC, just because he's too, he's too uh, light, you know, just because he's only 230 and you need to be – or 228 or 232, you need to be 242 to play the position he's playing. And all of that aside, it doesn't matter. I think that he would be productive at every level of football. And the fact that he is in the FCS on such a good defense, the numbers are, are huge. You know, if anyone who's listening to this podcast, Cat cat fan, Grizz fan, Idaho fan, Idaho State fan, Big State Conference fan, go read uh, Coulter's profile on Daniel Hardy and kind of his journey and story of the last five to six years of his life. I mean, what an amazing story you wrote there, Coulter. And, uh, you know, what an amazing guy to share that story. He's been dominant, man. You know, I can think of some small guys, you know, the, the Robbie Houks of the world that, are, you know, play a little bit above their head. Um, but, yeah, Daniel Hardy, as you mentioned, know, for being a hooper, kind of a lifetime basketball player, to put his hand in the dirt and have this kind of production is, is beyond impressive.
0: I watched the MSU game again last night, second time watching it through. We we praise defensive linemen for being able to even just hold a spot, even just most of the time. Even some of the best guys get knocked off the spot all the time, get knocked over, get caught in the mess, as Coach Marty, Marty Morningwig, always calls it. Watching the Bobcat D-line. Weber State, Ben Boss is the most decorated returning center in the league. Tyler Whitworth is, is projected as one of the top NFL prospects in the league. I didn't watch either of those guys blow off the ball, Chase Benson or Daniel Hardy, once. Chase Benson gets on the ground when Chase Benson wants to go on the ground. I- I've never really seen much like it. It's not as if he gets full penetration in the backfield on every snap, but he never gets knocked off the spot. Never. I, I Seriously, I've never seen it. Like, Tonga Takai, Caleb Kidder, Tucker Yates, like, Zach Wright, Zach Minter, all these dudes that we've covered, they all get knocked off their feet or knocked off the spot. Chase Benson never does, man. His sturdiness and how powerful he is in the middle of the line, it's just its unbelievable, and I think it makes everything else that's happening Happening right now on the Bobcat defense, I think it makes it all tick. He is the centerpiece.
1: No, he really is. He's not going to get the recognition he deserves. You know, I think if people jump on a conference call at the end of the year and if Coach Vegan stands up for him, if another coach says something, that's how it'll work itself out. If, hey, if I think I have the best defensive tackle in the league and three other coaches say, I agree with him. I agree. with Maybe he might get there. You know, some people might vote him in. Um, to be like a first-team all-league kind of guy. But it might not happen, you know, because his stats, I, I don't know if they'll end up being tremendous. But Chase Benson is as strong of an interior defensive lineman as, as we've seen. You know, he's uh, – I think of like the Zach Minters of the world, the Tonga Takai Montanas of the world. Uh, uh, Chase Benson is a very unique talent. And, and his motor, um, his punt, as you mentioned, Culper, his just pure strength, I think it's just – I don't know if you could actually withstand it for four quarters. I think that's why they continue to lean on people. And he has – such tremendous stamina. We've talked about the Bobcats' physical conditioning all year. It's continuing to prove true. And Chase Benson, I mean, he, one of my favorite things I heard about this uh, about this kid was this week, uh, guess how many classes Chase Benson's taken this year? One, this guy graduated. You know, this guy's taking one grad-level class. He's playing football. You know, he's getting after it. So stories like that I always love.
0: Big Sky Breakdown presented in part by Alpine Touch. Go visit alpinetouch.com for all of your awesome spice needs. Grand Slam packages, it's the way to go. You get all four of the best seasonings they got available. Throw in some barbecue sauce, maybe get yourself some spits. All pretty good. Alpinetouch.com, proud presenter of the Big Sky Breakdown. Uh, Brooks, one last question on the MSU-Weber game. Uh, Where are we at with Weber State? Because the Wildcats now are 2-4, and and the back's against the wall. They're going to need to win out and get some help. Uh, That winning out is going to include against Eastern Washington this week. so, I mean, the playoffs basically begin this week for Weaver State, and even if they were to do that, I think they'd still need some help to play their way back into the playoff picture. Uh, some four-time defending Big Sky champs. They've made it to the playoffs five years in a row. Where are we at with the Wildcats?
1: I think it's not their year. It's, uh, it's pretty hard to sustain after you, you make a run like they just did in the last four or five years. But that's
0: okay. It's kind
1: of how it goes. Uh, some injuries at times. You'd think that they could end up finishing with, you know, three, four losses. Um, they're already there at this point in the season. And As you mentioned, Eastern going – playing Eastern this weekend, just as we've, we've been we've been proven to see, is not an easy task. So it'll be great to see what Eastern can do against this Weaver State defense. So I think it'll be a great gauge, not only of Weaver State's uh, fortitude, you know, just hang in there, stick with it, keep the program's integrity intact, uh, but to see what Eastern can do. You know, if Eastern goes in there and puts up 45 points, I think on a national stage, even though – We know that Eastern is one of the, you know, three, four best teams in the country. I think it'll really give them a little bit more clout as far as going against that style, going against the North Dakota style, North Dakota State style of defense, going against the James Madison style of defense, Um, you know, like opponents with Weber playing James Madison earlier this season. You can kind of start to build some, some of the narrative and some of the crossover there. So I think it'll be a huge game for the league as far as where Eastern comes out at the end.
0: Well, I have spent, let's count it up, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten recorded hours already here on Wednesday morning talking about Montana's 28-21 loss to Sacramento State. It was like a therapy session with the Grizz fan pot on Monday trying to explain to them all the things that are going awry with the Grizz. Uh, It's been interesting to get the perspective from people across uh, the state, both on the radio and off the record. So rather than me wasting any more of my breaths, Brooks, I know you watched the game on Saturday. Your thoughts on Sacramento State posting their first ever victory in Missoula?
1: Well, I mean, gosh, it's a bad loss for the Grizz, you know, coming off that Eastern loss, and it's definitely not a good one to take at home. Um, Sac State. I don't think it's close. Their best player quit the team the week before. It was two weeks before that, and Elijah Dotson, the dynamic running back. And so Troy Taylor, Craig Paulson, former Montana defensive coordinator, now there um, at, at at Sac with Andy Thompson, you know, former Montana linebacker. Some familiarity there. Um, and Troy Taylor had it all dialed up, man. We talked about it a decent amount as far as off the record. Montana seemed to get out coached in that game, which is not something very common in the Bobby Houck era either tenure of Bobby Houck at Montana let alone just in general, you've got to think that at home, playing with, you know, your back against the wall after the Eastern game, and you're going to take care of business, and, and that was not the case. So it was sloppy on offense. Uh, Chris Brown continues to not be able to really get in a rhythm, um, and the running game is also, you know, again, very similar, not getting in a full-blown rhythm, but of young guys, offensive line getting, you know, a push at times. You know, it's funny because wouldn't you agree with this, Colter? At times, they can look really good, the offensive line at Montana. It's like, hey, let, I mean, Good-looking bodies, you know, some big guys as far as the the specs go, and they do get a push – uh, I like the scheme, but, you know, things just aren't flowing for Montana offensively. And for me, it seems like from a play caller standpoint, offensively, that they've lost some confidence, that they're not yep. really sure what to lean on when they really need it. Like, what what is second and seven for us? Let's go to our really confident section of this playbook. And, and they're not really, does not seem like they have that confidence right now. And and that's a worry, you know, because that's hard to find at this point of the season. That's hard to just get back. We're, these cool, in the state of Montana, in, in the Northwest United States of America, in the middle of October, practicing football week to week becomes more challenging. It is not that you are just going to go out and have the cleanest best practice of your entire life in 45-degree weather. Uh, when school starts to ramp up, you know, you have your first big session, section of tests maybe coming up, or you just had them, and all that stuff plays into these kids' and players' lives, and it's, it's not going to get easier to find that confidence. So in my opinion, there's there's definitely several Remedies to this situation with Montana offensively. Maybe I'm crazy, but force feed Samia Kemp. Exactly. I'd be throwing Sammy, I would target Samia Kemp 15 times a game. I don't, I don't really know why you're trying to junior Bergen's going at running back. Like, I mean, sure, get him his eight carries in a game or his six carries. Or change the pace. Whatever you need to do there, you're the best player on, on the team – you know, arguably, especially on the offense, is, is Sammy Kim. I'd be pounding the football towards him, force-feeding him as many targets as physically possible, behind the line of scrimmage, across the crossing route, outs, curls, ins, cobs, everything. I don't know why and how you couldn't be doing that. Um, maybe that's the case of Sammy Kim offensively leadership wise where he fits into that whole narrative i mean you know he's definitely changed personality wise at the press conferences this year um seems like not that he's been in the doghouse but he definitely has a different leadership role than, than maybe he would want or the team
0: hoped for him um, so it,
1: what, what's your perspective offensively colter i mean i didn't get to be on the grizz fan podcast so offensively what's the remedy
0: well, what, one thing you just said, which is something fresh, is actually great. I'm, I'm glad we actually have something fresh for me to say. It's not even a repeat. What you just said about the offensive line is so spot on. Personnel-wise, you look at them and you're like, all five of these guys should be pretty good. And sometimes all five of them are pretty good. I think the biggest issue they have is all five of them being good together at the same time on the same play. But the invariable level of good and not is so weird. I don't get that. I don't get why there is a varying level of First of all, I think in my estimation, to have a really good offensive line, you need to have at least two, if not three, all-conference type guys. And I'm talking all-conference, like old-school Big Sky style, not like ninth-team honorable mention all-conference in this Cracker Jack 13-team league. I'm talking like 10 best linemen in the league. I think you need to have two or three of those guys if you really want to have one of the best lines in the league. And I don't know if any of those guys are first-team all-league talents. I do think they have maybe a couple that are second-team, but I don't know why those guys aren't performing better. That part is very perplexing to me. I don't really know what the answer is there. But I do think that better offensive line play would help this entire thing because, of course, it would. That's that's the key to everything on offense. But I also think, though, like, what's the point of having Sammy Kim unless you target and use Sammy Kim and they're not that much? But then you also wonder how much of the just concept of the no-star system and we're not going to have one guy be the guy that leads us to victory I think that's holding the Grizz back across the board right now, but it's reflected and accentuated and magnified through the concept and the lens of Sammy Akin more than anything.
1: Yeah, it's weird, man. I don't know really why they, they wouldn't just force it to It just seems like the, the answer. Also, you know, you and I are always preaching, like, gosh, what's, if you're struggling in Madden, right, you're playing Madden, you can't, you're playing all Madden level, playing the freaking ravens stuff's going crazy what what's the easiest way to get something going throw it to the tight end right colter five yards turn exactly. it around throw it to the biggest guy in the field like get the tight ends going you got a bunch of them at montana you got a bunch of montana state i don't know why these teams refuse to do so you know i think that there's at this level it's such a high level of football that they go through these complex offenses all right i just called a play i walk up to the line of scrimmage i have three or to four reads so i go to my progression it's like s- scrap it call a play where you're throwing it to that guy
0: it what happened like, on Saturday with Sac State What's the, What's the vulnerability of the Grizz defense?
1: No, linebackers and coverage. I
0: don't know. Exactly. It's either deep shots up the seam – or the middle of the field. What Sac State do? Throw back shoulder fades or sat Pierre Williams or Marshall Martin, their two best playmakers on the entire offense, right in the middle of the field for 17-yard gains over and over and over again. And you talk about total yards. Like, like our guy Jeff Cho used to always say, stats are for losers. You want to know what stats not for losers? First downs. First down conversions and third down conversions are so much more important than total yards. If you get 30 first downs against a team, you destroyed that team. Sacramento State had 30 first downs on Saturday, most of which came by running simple route In the middle of the field or over the top of the Grizz defense. I I don't know if that's just a trend of Sac State's offense or if they were truly just exploiting what Montana's weaknesses are on defense. I think it's the latter, and I think that that's the best example. That's the funniest part about this whole conundrum for the Grizz. I'm not saying they should run the Sac State offense, but they should take the the principle of the Sac State offense, which is to attack the weakest parts of your defense. That's what Montana should do moving forward with a young, inexperienced quarterback.
1: And whatever they do moving forward, you you have to change it up, right? You got to do something new here because you lost. You lost Cam Humphrey, quarterback. You lost both starting running backs uh, before the season. Uh, so At this point, you've got to do something that's a little different because whatever is happening right now, you can't just plug and play and assume that the backup is going to be the same. You can't just plug and play and assume that offensively you're going to be able to do what you plan to do in July. You know, now things have changed. you got to make up some new shit right now. you got to make up some new plays. you got to make up some new concepts. you got to make up a little bit of different tempo. You know, your script has to, has to look a little bit different. Uh, so we'll see if the Grids can do that. They've shown to be stubborn in that level. Or in that in that element um, in the past, and that's a lot of Bobby Hawke being stubborn offensively and defensively, but defensively, the defensively with the stubbornness oftentimes leads to high production and high effort, which is really all the system or the scheme is offensively the it's not that case. You can't just try harder and expect, you know, the receiver to catch the ball that's not coming his way. So we'll see if they can make that change. I think it's 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 imperative for their for the rest of their season and you know to continue to they, they got to be careful here. You know you gotta you gotta have a really strong finish to the season to make sure you position yourself playoff wise in a in a deep spot. Um, going from you know falling out of the top five now, falling out of the top ten now. We'll see where they end up at the end of the season. But the playoffs are on the line. You know each and every week now for Montana.
0: One thing Montana does have is they're playing with house money because you always assume they're going to lose your money game at the end of the year, and they didn't. So they have an extra win and one less loss than normal. So that means like a 5-3 and three record in league play would still get you to 8-3 and three overall. It's not ideal. Montana doesn't want to lose another conference game. But even if they did, they'd still be flush in the playoff mix. I think they'd have to lose two more conference games, which would mean a 4-4 four and four conference record to truly fall out of the playoff picture. All that said, let's talk quickly, Brooks, just about these upcoming games. First, the Bobcats, they got a, a hapless Idaho State team coming to town. They're on a six-game winning streak. Looks like they're a heavy favorite in this one, but they have to take care of business because they got Idaho State, they got a bye, and then they got a trip to Cheney for basically what could be the Big Sky Conference de facto championship game. So, Montana State, Idaho State, what's your take on this matchup?
1: I mean, Montana State's going to be heavily favored, but it's definitely, uh, especially before the bye week, you want to take care of business. I think that if there wasn't a bye week before the Eastern game, that you could call this a trap game. You know, I don't think that Montana State is rolling so so hard right now. I don't think that They would fall into a trap game scenario if that was the case, but that would set it up differently. So the bye week in between there I think is really healthy for Montana State as well as preparing for Eastern that next week
0: matchups across the board favor montana state too because idaho state struggles against the run the bobcats love to run the football idaho state struggles to defend passes over the top that's what matt mckay does best when he's looking for lance mccutcheon and idaho state's offensive line leaves something to be desired in the bobcat defensive front one of the best i've ever seen in the big sky conference so i think all the matchups point toward that plus it's a you know going to be a bozeman afternoon it's bobcat stadium and this team is really really good at home as well let's look at the other side though idaho vandals got rolled 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 last week 71 to 21 a fifty 50-point loss to Eastern Washington. Uh, If Eastern didn't call off the dogs, I think they could have got to 100. I really do. They scored 29 points in the first quarter alone. Eric Berrier, 600 passing yards and seven touchdowns before taking a seat before the third quarter was even over. And uh, Idaho, they're reeling. They seem like a team that uh, wasn't given a lot of effort down the stretch in the midst of that blowout. But a Montana team needs a victory and needs to get right, and it's a rivalry game, and there's a lot of history between these coaching staffs and the crossover and all of it. And uh, Idaho, despite the fact that they have struggled since returning to the league, they always have talent. Uh, They always have, actually, in fact, better talent than a lot of schools in the league. And uh, they're tough. They always are going to be tough. They just have a really hard time being disciplined and executing and uh, putting it all together. Uh, your take on the Grizz trip to the Kibbe Dome on Saturday?
1: Yeah, Grizz will be heavily favored, man. I mean, Idaho, the struggles are real. Um, and that coaching staff probably won't stay intact very long there. We'll see about, you know, through the weekend and, and through the, the remainder of the regular season. But uh, after the season, I think we'll probably see a change at Idaho, better or worse. Uh, it's probably right for all parties. But as you mentioned, Colter, Idaho sounds like they got a a Troy Anderson like quarterback coming in. That should be really exciting for the Vandals. Uh, You know, a guy that can really make some plays, a big-time triple option run attack for Idaho, which probably plays into the favor of the Grizz pretty handedly. So, uh, Grizz, their schedule, I know you should speak to it as well, it really shapes up well as far as if you're only looking at potentially one more loss, which would be that Cat Grizz coin toss at the end of the season, which who knows what that will break down to. The Grizz play Idaho, Southern Utah, and Northern Arizona with a bye in between, and, you know, that, that probably shapes up pretty darn well for the Grizz
0: one last just matchup question Zach Borish is the quarterback you're referring to he has played in all six games for Idaho he's thrown eight passes he's five for eight so far uh, he is one of the, the leading rushers in the league he's is. rushing for he's rushed for 381 yards he's averaging 5.4 yards per carry scored four touchdowns on the ground the question I guess is Brooks Montana has the best run defense in the conference in terms of yards per carry and, and yards per game allowed That said, Sac State ran the ball pretty much at will last weekend in Missoula. But also, for as good as the swarming Blitz and Grizz defense is against traditional run schemes, oftentimes they struggle against the gap scheme stuff and the quarterback run game. We've seen it against Montana State at full force a couple times. So what do you think of that element of this matchup? If Idaho really is running a wing-T, Troy Anderson-esque offense, is that actually a tough one for, for Montana?
1: I don't think so, Colter. I mean, I I get the angle, and I do think that it's something to prepare for. You know, no question about it. But w- the way that the Bobby Howick's program has has been defined is 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 by rallying to the football and and, and you know stopping the run and, and playing hard on defense. And I think that that style. We're talking Troy anderson SQ. Okay, Troy Anderson is the greatest running quarterback in in in. Big second-office history, maybe the FCS history, maybe college football history. So let's we're, we're not get you know, carried away here, being a little bit facetious We were Mentioning that, this, this, this Idaho quarterback, Borish, is probably plenty talented, but um, I think it plays well into the hands of the Grizz. What is their weakness, Colter? Middle of the field, deep shots. I don't think it's going to happen a lot this weekend. Uh, I think the Grizz win handedly, or at least um, you know take a victory away from a, a road game that you know should or could be tough, but with Idaho reeling, I don't think it will be.
0: Real last question though. It should be an easy Grizz victory. I agree. Can the Grizz score enough points to make any victory easy, though?
1: Right. I totally. I was gonna say that it, it could be an easy win, quote unquote, and it could be like twenty-four to. 14 or 24 10 you know or 17 to 10 like I I agree with you I I don't know offensively if it's going to be impressive they Um, need to get back to scoring points not on offense
0: I mean they only scored 18 points on offense against Cal Poly and they scored 39 points because they scored on defense and they scored on special teams I know that that's rare to score on either defense or special teams but it's not unrealistic in fact it's the way that this team is made I actually think they need to put a high priority on that I think if they want to score 30 plus points they're gonna have to score somewhere besides on offense
1: and I agree with you that you could also attribute um, a, a defensive score to an interception that's, um, on, on the Idaho side of the field or uh, opponent's side of the field that's returned to the 20-yard line the Grids have a 20-yard short field. Uh, that, to me, is a defensive touchdown. I think that that could be uh, some of what you're relaying to as well. That putt return doesn't have to be housed if you get it to the, other, the opponent's 40-yard line. You know That kick return that you take to the 50-yard line doesn't have to be housed, but that is a, a, a uh, influence on the offense from outside of the offensive. Um, I totally agree with you. Couldn't agree more.
0: Brooks, Nuana's Big Sky Breakdown presented in part by Blackfoot Communications. Appreciate Blackfoot for all they do for us when it comes to all of our podcasting endeavors. They are the proud sponsor of the Big Sky Breakdown, as well as the Nuana's Now podcast. They're a proud sponsor of the Catching Up with the Cats podcast, which by the way, the latest one with Dakota Prukop is out. So go check that out. And they're also the proud sponsor of Grizz Greats, the 20th anniversary of the 2001 national champions. Johanse Humphrey and Atu Molden, this week's guests. So go check that out as well. You can subscribe to the Big Sky Breakdown, Nuana is Now, catching up with the cats and Grizz Greats on all of your various podcast hosting platforms, and we appreciate Blackfoot for believing in all of our dreams as we continue to build this podcast network. Brooks, appreciate it, man. Great having you on, as always, and have yourself a good week. I'll see you in a couple days. See you this weekend.
1: Yeah, man, you're a machine. Listen to all that content, folks. Go listen to it. I mean, goodness gracious, that is serious output. Uh, Colby, you mentioned Daniel Hardy. Maybe you could win the buck. Eric Berrier on his way to a potential very likely Walter Payton award, both from the Big Sky. That would be darn fun. The, the, the Big Sky Conference is putting up some stats this year.
0: I hope Eric Berry gets a Heisman vote. If I had one, I'd vote for him for Heisman. Why not? Screw it. I love it.
1: I love it. Eric Berrier, 600 yards and seven touchdowns every week.
0: <laughs> He's averaging 440 yards a game. Averaging. It's unbelievable. Anyways, Brooks us Big Sky Breakdown. Thanks so much for being here, man. We'll get back with you next week. Right now, Andrew Houghton, our producer here at Nuanas Now, as well as a uh, contributing writer, SkylineSportsMT.com, and a uh, man of many trades here at Missoula Broadcasting Company. Andrew, before we start talking more about Big Sky Conference football, have you seen Jasper Rinalda? R- Rinalda, I believe, is his last name. He is a true freshman from Montana State who stands, hello, seven foot four. No, where is where's he from? He is from Corvallis, Oregon. Well, So he went to high school in Corvallis, Oregon. His parents, particularly his father, is from the Netherlands. So he, his father, though, then played at Oregon State and then, I believe, just lived in Corvallis after college. But then this kid went to high school in Corvallis but then did a postgraduate year at the Donner Academy in the Netherlands. And that's how Montana State initially found him. He basically went to a prep school abroad, internationally. And uh, Montana State, famously, their associate head coach, is Chris Haslam. Was a great player at Wyoming, but he is from the United Kingdom. He was the head coach of the U.K. uh, U18 team for several years. So Montana State's had uh, quite a few guys, actually, from Great Britain. I tell they got Harold Frey from Oslo, Norway. So they have that sort of Western European corridor, some of the maybe non- like, you think of European basketball, I think of Italy and Spain and, and uh, you know, Greece. Not necessarily Netherlands and Norway, but they have sort of that Scandinavian area on lock. But if you've ever seen Chris Haslam in person, Chris Haslam is one of the m- biggest men I've ever met. Uh, and I saw a picture of Jasper Ronaldo next to Chris Haslam. And... It is silly because Chris Haslam is a full 6'11". I'm not even going to say how much he weighs. He's a gigantic man. And Ronaldo's like a whole head taller than them. This got brought to my attention because uh, I was looking on uh, social media and there's a picture of Xavier Bishop, Montessi Point Guard, who is famously 5'8". Like on a good day, maybe, and Jasper and Nalda sitting next to each other, and then they had sort of like the the here and now versus Minute Bull and Muggsy Bogues when they played for the Washington Bullets. Usually, I think that kind of stuff's corny. This is hilarious because it's actually like almost the same. Regardless, there I mean, there, there's your uh, there's your tidbit for the day. The Bobcats have a true freshman center who is seven foot four. I I, I can't imagine what his prospects might be. You just assume the guy at seven four, if they could play at all, would be not in the Big Sky Conference. But maybe the connection is just. The connection, and maybe the, I don't know, but uh, he is certainly the biggest person I've ever seen in real life, and uh, he will definitely be the tallest basketball player. I think I think it's safe to say he's the tallest guy in the history of the Big Sky Conference.
4: A little bit of basketball talk on is now today. I I love it. I the, know we're getting a little chill in the air. Starting Thoughts starting to turn towards the, the gyms, the squeaking of sneakers, the bouncing of basketballs. Just had to bring in a little hoops talk, didn't you? Had to, man. I submitted preseason polls for the
0: women and men's side. I'm sure you probably received those polls as well. So uh, yeah, I submitted those yesterday. So maybe we'll break those down here in a little while. Actually, that'd be fun to do with uh, maybe Sean Rainey, uh, who, by the way, Sean's not going to be able to join us this week. I know you guys have gotten used to hearing from Sean on Wednesdays, but uh, Sean has... Uh, a ton of going, ton going on. He's trying to run all over town and shoot all these high school soccer p- matches. So shall we be back next week? But tomorrow's lead guest will be Brooks Nuanis from SkylineSportsMT.com. So we'll talk some NFL and of course some big Sky Conference stuff as well. So stay tuned uh, for that. Time now for Around the Big Sky, presented in part by Skyline Sports. Go check out SkylinesportsMT.com. Skyline Sports every day, every season. It's your one-stop shop for all things Big Sky Conference, whether it's podcasts, analysis, news, features, or photos. Skyline Sports got you covered. Go check out MT.com. We lead our Big Sky Conference conversation with quite a thing that happened uh, in Cheney, Washington on, on Saturday. Uh, we had the game up on the, the live stream because I usually like to put the, the other game that's going. You know, if Montana, Montana State's playing the same time, I put the Cat game on. If I'm at the Grizz game, I put the Grizz game on. If I'm at the Cat game, uh, the Bobcats well, have played the night before against Weber State. So uh, during the Grizz game against Sac State, I put the uh, Eastern game on just to, you know, glance at the score from time to time. Well, the score changed every time I looked at the screen because Eastern Washington just had this unbelievable onslaught a program record 29. 29- points in the first quarter alone. Eric Berry threw four touchdowns in the first quarter alone. Eric Berry had 600 yards passing and seven touchdowns by the end of the third quarter. And Eastern Washington had 64 points going in the final frame. Aaron Best calls off the dogs, so to speak. But he already had 64. They scored one more at 71-21. Eric Berry is ridiculous. His numbers are out of this world. I just, uh, I couldn't believe the performance because Eastern's good. But you're not supposed to beat your rival by 50, especially when they score three times.
4: You're not supposed to beat any other team at this level by 50 points. I mean, on, right. if, we're, if we're speaking about it honestly, you're just you're just not, and that's as much on Idaho as it is. I mean, it's not on Eastern Washington at all. Eastern Washington's offense is built for doing that. Like, there's no. You, he did take Eric Berrier out late. Took the starters out late. Of course, you do that, but there's no reason for you to stop running your stuff if you're playing Division One college football late in the game. Just a a, a mind bending score. I mean, I think that both of us before the game would have taken. Eastern Washington by I don't know 30 points probably. Probably yeah. But to see something like that where you score 3 touchdowns and you still lose by 50 is uh shocking. And I think the uh you know the thing with Eastern Washington if I can get off on a little tangent about Eastern Washington here, Eastern Washington does that to teams. I mean that's what Eastern if you want to be skeptical about Eastern Washington, you you say that's what Eastern Washington's offense is built to do. It's built to hang 60 or 70 points on teams that can't hang with them. Right. Because if you can't hang with Eastern Washington, Eric Berry is hitting a 50-yard touchdown pass on every drive. <laughs> that's what's so crazy is that you
0: could say on one hand, Montana. Their defense got exposed more than it has all year when they gave up 34 points. On the other hand, you could say that's as good as you can play against the Eastern Washington defense if you're committed to sending pressure like Montana. Because actually giving up 35 when the dude actually can throw seven or eight touchdowns is <laughs> you're, you're actually doing about
4: twice as good as your peer opponents, right? No doubt. And that's what I was i was going to bring up that game talking about Eastern Washington. I mean, the, the knock on Eastern Washington is like, can you do that against a good defense who is going to win one-on-one with your guys? Sometimes they're going to bring pressure. They're going to force you to change up a little bit. And that's what I think was my biggest takeaway about you know, we don't want to talk about this game too much because we've talked about it for hours already on this show. That was my biggest takeaway from Eastern Washington's win over Montana because they were able to look like Eastern Washington for, you know, a fair part of that game right at the very start. And then, of course the fourth quarter, they looked like they were playing Idaho because he was hitting 50 yarders every possession.
0: Nuwana's now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. Andrew Houghton joining me, Colter Nuwana's, here in studio. He's on the other side of the glass. If you're wondering why I'm uh, why I'm sitting on my uh, not normal side of the glass, it's because I like to look at the people I'm talking to. But wouldn't it be nearly as fun if Andrew was just staring at the back of my head. Uh, Andrew, Eastern's averaging 54 points per game at this exact moment. Eric Berrier, his numbers are stupid. He has a passer rating of 191. Uh, I think that perfect is like 194 in college football. I mean, he's, he's into the the stratosphere of being nearly perfect. He's completing 69.2% of his passes, and it's not as if he's throwing 14 times a game. No, uh, he's thrown 280 times. He's 194 for 280. He's got 3,067 passing yards. This is seven games and 28 touchdowns. So his average game, Eric Berrier's, Average game is 23 completed passes for 439 yards and four touchdowns per game. That's his average game. If by chance. And here's the other thing is Aaron Best knows, Eastern Washington head coach knows, he, he has adamantly proclaimed that Eric Berrier is the best player in the country every single time he addresses the media. He's so enthusiastic about it, he pounds the table. It's not like a, the symbolic pounded on the table. Aaron Best actually pounds on the table. This is the best player in the FCS every single time he gets in front of a, a camera for a press conference. And he's not wrong. But that said, he wants to affirm that to everybody in the country.
4: Which I think is a great
0: attitude. It's an absolutely great attitude, and it fits so well in the modern day. Eastern has a three-game stretch that's a powerhouse stretch coming up. Everybody thinks they're the front runner in the big sky. They are, but they have to prove it now because they got Weber State coming to town. They got Montana State coming to town. They got to go to Davis, and then they got to go to Portland State. So this is not an easy schedule down the stretch. I would actually venture to say that that is four of the six or seven best teams in the league to finish the season. So... That said, though, if and when Aaron Best smells blood, they're going to continue to lighten it up. I don't know if it's even possible to throw over 600 yards against Weber State. I really don't think it's possible to score 70 on Montana State. We'll see. But what I'm getting at, though, is if Barry continued this pace... What is the ceiling in terms of national exposure? Because the dude is going to run away with Big Sky Conference Offensive Player of the Year. He's going to run away with the Walter Payton Award. If they, if they coincide, he throws for 4 and 30 yards a game and throws 50 touchdowns and they go undefeated, he's running away with the Walter Payton Award. Could this guy sneaking in the Heisman
4: conversation. This was what I was going to ask you. Is Eric Berry going That's ridiculous hyperbole. Right, but, but if, but no. Here's the thing: if there was an FCF SCS player who was ever going to sneak into the Heisman conversation, right. to get votes for the Heisman, it would be a season that looks exactly like this one. Yes. Yes, it's absolutely true. He's going to he's going to win the Walter Payton by a ridiculous margin. I saw a tweet this weekend. Southeastern Louisiana has a great quarterback. Cole Kelly. Cole Kelly. He's putting up numbers down there.
0: Great numbers. He's also a hot NFL prospect because he's left handed, which actually hurts him, I think, at the NFL level. Yep. But he's six seven and he can run. Um and he's got pedigree, too, because he started his career at Arkansas.
4: He's a great player, no doubt. you uh, won, won the Payton Award in the spring, right? Yes, with yep. Barrier second. I saw a tweet from southeastern Louisiana this weekend saying, Cole Kelly, Walter Payton Award candidate, ranks in the top in, in every passing category. And it was completion percentage, parentheses, first. And then every other stat, it was parentheses, second. Touchdowns, yards, uh, like rushing yards by a quarterback, whatever. Big plays, second, parentheses. And you're like, okay, well, we know who's first in all those categories – I don't think it's going to be a close race for the Peyton. I would love to see him. And all it takes is one mention by, you know, like Bruce Feldman writing a column on The Athletic, somebody writing a column on ESPN.com being like, man, what about Eric Barrier? Could he get votes for a Heisman? And that would raise it to such a different level than what we're talking about right now. But like I said, I think that if you were drawing up a campaign that would get an FCS player attention like that, it would be exactly this one. And we know that Aaron Best is going to keep the pedal to the metal with. That offense. I think in part because he did finish second in the Walter Payton voting in the spring. Uh, he's trying to reestablish that program a little bit as one of the top programs in the country. And of course, it helps when your players, people are talking about your quarterback as a potential Heisman vote getter.
0: This is where the big sky misses Jeff Choate because if Barrier lit up. Montana State, then Choate would tell Feldman about him because he would use it not only as a uh, a way to promote the league but also a way to like give himself an out. Like, hey, Bruce Feldman, write a story about this guy so that everybody knows how good he is in case they slay Montana State. That's complete speculation but it is true because Choate was good for the league in that element, getting him on the national platform.
4: Did you see Bruce Feldman's column today about potential replacements for Nick Rolovich at Washington State? Of course Jay Hill and Jeff Choate's names are on there. Why of, wouldn't they be? Of course. Okay, We're not going to talk anything about
0: the Nick Rolovich situation in Washington State because I know you're not here for that. You can get that from all the the attacking heads. Uh, and I'm not going to give you an opinion on where I stand on what happened there in Pullman other than what a sign of the bizarre time that we live in because what a hill to die on, man. I I just, the, the fact that it reached the point that it did is is mind-blowing to me regardless of which side you're on i think it's stupid that we have sides but regardless i did i just uh i couldn't believe that that's the situation that it ended up in but nick rolovich out at washington state so we'll see because that'll be a job with a lot of um familiar names uh, from this region and uh, with big sky conference ties involved for who could potentially replace let's talk a little big sky conference power rankings We've been unbelievably busy here. We have uh, shifted our content model at Skyline Sports a little bit. Um, we've been doing a lot more multimedia. We're still doing a lot of writing. I appreciate Andrew and Tom Stuber and uh, all the guys I got helping out for contributing. Of course, our awesome photographers as well. But I used to do a Wednesday deal where I had my Big Sky Conference power rankings in the written word, and I just haven't been able to carve out the time because it does take quite a while to pound all that stuff out. But now, here on Nuwana's Now, duration of the, of the stretch run here in Big Sky Conference Play, we're going to continue to do, or I guess, start today and then continue throughout the rest of the uh, the fall to give you our Big Sky Conference Power Rankings each week here on the show. So my Big Sky Commerce Power Rankings right now, as they stand, I'm just going to go like, I-, I give you my top seven because I think that those are the ones that really have, I guess, here's what I'll do actually. I'm going to give you my bottom five because I think that there's not much argument it rather, unless it's like the ordering of the bottom five but if you're nine through thirteen who really cares you're at the bottom of the
4: league i would say bottom six here looking at your list okay so well but I think that there's a a a, a tier here so okay give, give me your take on that let's let's okay, run so through so, it. so my bottom t-
0: my bottom tier is northern Colorado southern Utah and Cal Poly I don't think either any of those three teams can beat any team in the league except for each other i, I just i don't if there was, I have Cal Poly at 11, though, ahead of Southern Utah and Northern Colorado, because I really don't think Southern Utah and Northern Colorado could beat any teams, I'd say Cal Poly would beat both of those teams. I also think Cal Poly has a chance to maybe, maybe beat a team that they're not, quote unquote, supposed to beat, because I think they have a really good coaching staff. So, uh, But I mean, I just think those three teams are definitively the, the three teams that are the least competitive in the league this year. You agree? No argument. Yeah. Okay. Then I got... Uh, my my next tier would be Idaho at ten, Idaho State at nine, and Northern Arizona at eight. I think all three of those teams would be favored, if not heavily favored, against the bottom three teams. I actually think Idaho State is better than Northern Arizona, but that hasn't been the case because Idaho State's one and five, and Northern Arizona's three and three. Even though I, th- I think that nor- that Idaho State has better talent, but and Northern Arizona destroyed Idaho State, so yeah. Northern Arizona destroyed Idaho State in in Flagstaff. So that's what, exactly. The reason I got the Vandals at 10, I actually think talent-wise, Idaho should be like 7 or 8, but they're not. They're at 10 on my list because that's what happens when you give up 71 points in a rivalry game. I don't really have any justification. I mean, I think, I don't, when I watch them, I think that they have a, a good defensive line. I think they have really good linebackers. I think their offensive line is is fine, average to above average. I think they have a couple of playmakers on offense. I know their quarterback system has been incredibly in flux, but they continue... Continue to be among the most perplexing teams in the league because... When you look at them for the from a man to man perspective of who they have on their squad, talent is not their issue in comparison to the the bottom tier of the league. I think they do have talent issues compared to the top five or six teams in the big sky, but they shouldn't be where they're at in the league based on purely talent. I don't understand though what the missing link is because Matisse for tomorrow, Mike Bresky, former Montana defensive coordinator, current Idaho defensive coordinator, he's coming on the show partly to talk about the matchup between Montana and Idaho this upcoming Saturday in Moscow, and partially to talk about his memory from the 2001 national championship uh, team that he was a part of. Well, Mike Bresky's a great coach. I've been around Bresky. My brother played for Bresky. Like, Bresky's a really good coach, man. Luther Ellis played in the NFL for, like, my whole life and has been the D-line coach there at Idaho. I know great player does not necessarily mean great coach, but by all accounts, he's a good coach. I mean, he's put multiple guys in the NFL. And Vernon Smith, played corner at Montana. He's a good secondary coach. They have good coaches. Like they, uh, we, I know most of the guys on that staff, or at least know guys that know them. And uh, so, I don't know. There's definitely a disconnect there at Idaho. Would you disagree with any of that second tier, or I guess uh, second from the bottom tier in the Big Sky?
4: No, and I think that's that's been the story for... Idaho, I mean, since they came back into the Big Sky Conference, they've had talent. I mean, like you said, they've had a good defensive line since they came back into the Big Sky Conference. They've had good linebackers. I mean, they had uh, Christian Caden Ellis was the one who got drafted.
0: Caden Ellis actually, I believe, starts for the Saints right now, or at least gets a lot of minutes. Yeah.
4: Christian Ellis is
0: on a taxi squad somewhere. He's on a practice squad with somebody, so he's in the NFL as well.
4: But they just have never, ever been relevant in the three or four years that they've come back to the Big Sky. There's just something missing there. They found their most relevant moments when playing Eastern Washington. And I think that's why
0: the people at Eastern, uh, the, 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 uh, the usual suspects, as it were, uh, probably took great joy in, in hanging 71. Because C- in Montana, we know all about the Venturelle uh, the and the Cacariz rivalry. But make no mistake, like Eastern Washington hates Montana and Idaho as much as Montana State hates Montana. You know what I mean? Like that, there's that's a real deal rivalry. Like Eastern is delighted in beating Idaho and vice versa. I know the Vandals loved beating Eastern the last couple times that they have. So, uh funny that they're, that's a it's a good rivalry in the league is what I'm saying. All right, my next tier in my Big Sky Conference Power Rankings includes three teams. Portland State, Weber State, and Montana. How did Montana get into the same conversation as Portland State, a team that they beat 48-7 to back in the spring? Now, let's be clear. I think if Montana and Portland State played on Saturday, I think Montana would be a a three-touchdown favorite. But... How can you be a three-touchdown favorite if you can't score touchdowns? That's the biggest issue that Montana has right now. Their defense is really good still. I think that their defense is going to have to carry the day, but their offense is not going to have to necessarily win games for them. They're just going to have to, first, not lose games for them. Can't have crucial turnovers in pivotal situations. Can't have crucial penalties that makes you settle for touchdowns instead of field goals. But all that said, I think that like Portland State is my number 7 team in my power rankings this week, above all of those bottom tier teams because of Davis Alexander. That's it, that's all. Portland State's found a way to win a couple games. They're 3 and 3. There's not much for them to play for in terms of national uh, accomplishment, but they could be competitive in the league, and they could definitely beat some teams in this league, especially if Alexander gets hot. Weber, they're messed up with all their injuries. Their offensive line is not what it's supposed to be because they're so hurt. Robson Barron, uh, even though he looked sort of healthy, he did not look comfortable last week. The quarterback, Josh Davis, is definitely out. I'm not a doctor, but that dude's not coming back anytime soon. That was a bad, bad injury uh, that he suffered against the Cats on on Friday night. And so, Weber, they still have a really good secondary, really good front seven, really good defense, but they have a hard time scoring as well. So it's funny because I think if you if you gave like Montana or uh, Weber, Portland State's offensive skill players, including Davis Alexander, it solves so many of their problems. But that's sort of the dichotomy here. I don't think Portland State's any so, anything to sniff at it on defense, uh, defensively. But
4: Montana and Weber right now have a fundamental issue scoring. Yeah, agreed. I think I would almost have Portland State almost in a tier of their own. There, just sitting in the middle of the conference, seventh alone, totally. seventh, and that's it. And they're good enough. To beat everybody behind them, and man, I don't know if they could beat anybody, any of those top six teams. I mean, maybe Weber, like you said, with how beat up they are right now, so maybe it would
0: Port- be a bad matchup
4: though because we, Jay Hill would do so many things
0: to bracket Davis Alexander. Their secondary right. is really good, so they'd be baiting him. He does make mistakes because he is kind of a gunslinger. Yeah, no, you're right. I think Portland State is sort of at a tier by themselves, and then I think that maybe actually then that next tier is UC Davis, Montana, Weber State, all sort of together.
4: I think that's the way that I would go with it. I mean, and I don't even know. I think I would have. Of Sacramento State, Davis, Montana, Weber State, all four together behind right. the top two. And then the top two, I got Montana State at number two and
0: Eastern Washington number one. If you disagree with that, call us or text us, 406-888-1029. I don't really know how you could. Proof's in the pudding right now. Eastern 7 and no, they got a win over Montana. Montana State 6-1. and one. They haven't lost to an FCS squad, and they just beat a ranked uh, Weber State team on the road. So that's my top two, Eastern Washington, Montana State. I got SAC at three. I'm actually double... Double. Uh, I'm second guessing myself here uh, with Davis and Montana because I actually think that this is the both, one change that I would make. Both I think. have both have issues, and UC Davis's loss to Idaho State is much worse than Montana's loss. Although Montana's loss to Sac State at home does carry some weight, losing to a one win. I, I mean, one, Idaho State has one win. It's over UC Davis. I know it was in Pocatello, but maybe I would flip those. But I, I do. I think it's. I think it's a clear cut top two, and then I think that. But this is the most interesting part, though. Is I think that the big sky is going to get three or four teams in. Rally and voice of the. Grizz thinks they're going to get five. But the tier that includes Sac State, UC Davis, Montana, and Weaver State, that's four teams, I think, for at least two, maybe three spots. So we'll see. But that tier is going to be very important. Uh, Our Grizz fan podcast last night went three hours because there's just so many layers to what's going on with Montana. I think that there's so many things with the Grizz football team that are at the same time not unique, but sort of a new frontier for this iteration of the Grizz, this group of players, this group of coaches. Bobby Houck has certainly coached teams that have had high highs and low lows. Uh, He's also coached teams with uh, unprecedented expectations. He's coached teams that have been ranked in the top of the not just the conference, but the country. When Coach Houck was on his run, his seven Big Sky titles made it 12 in a row for Montana, I believe, until North Dakota State took that mantle, or maybe Oklahoma back in the 50s. There's very few college programs that have ever won 10-plus conference titles in a row. Coach Houck helped Montana get to 12 in a row. So all that's to say, he has massive experience in terms of handling the bullseye on their backs. He has massive experience playing in the national spotlight and on the biggest stage in FCS football. Yet, I think that one of the primary factors of this Grizz team that just lost 28-21 on Saturday is right now they feel the weight of the exposure and the hysteria and everything that surrounds their program because the Grizz were riding as high as I'd seen them ride. In about 12 or 13 years, coming into the night game against Western Illinois, coming out of the night game at Western Illinois, even with a sort of lackluster performance against Cal Poly, it was still a 38-7, 39-7 conference victory, undefeated record, top five ranking, all that as they headed over to Eastern Washington. And then at, from, the, from the, uh, the fourth quarter of the Eastern Washington game until now, the amount of hype and... Um, all of this, the crazy pandemonium going around around the Grizz, the, the, the pandemonium's still at a fever pitch. The, the, the tone of it has changed significantly. So I think that's one of the biggest factors, despite the X's and O's and the weaknesses and the injuries and all the things that we're going to diagnose. I think that the, the element of pressure might be one that's creeping in, not that they can't handle it, but this, this group hasn't had to handle it before.
4: Yeah, I'm not going to say that beating Washington in the season opener was was a bad thing for this team, right? Because obviously that's a historic win. You get so much national attention coming out of that. But I think the way that the tenor of the coverage and the attitude and the conversation around this team changed after, the, after that game was, like you said, something that hadn't been around this team since 2012, 2011. You know, I'm as guilty as anybody. We at Skyline Sports are as guilty as anybody of uh, putting the attitude around this team. I I wrote the the piece before the season. I mean, the only question that matters this season is are the Grizz back? And Coach
0: Houck, after the Cal Poly game, said that, that he thought that they were. Not even they thought they were. He said, I told these guys in the locker room. It was after his 100th win. So he was certainly in the moment, and it was certainly a, a proud moment for him. Uh, but Alexa Belcastro, who's uh, over at uh, MTN, Helping out Kyle Hansen, she asked him a good question. She said, Coach, has your return to your alma mater gone like you expected it to? And Coach Houck said, it has. And I told these guys in the locker room, you guys did it. The Grizz are back. I'm so proud of these guys. I found it this so interesting because the Grizz are certainly better than they have been. I think that they got the right guy leading the way. I just also thought that, objectively, to say that a team is back and you compare it to the standard that was set, again, this team was perennially the number one team in the country for like the duration of the season, almost every season for a a decade. That's why it's such a loaded question at Montana. And why it's such an interesting question,
4: is Montana back? Being in and out of the top 10 is not back for Montana. Right. It's a question that carries a different connotation than literally anywhere else in the country.
0: I know. And then I start to think about that in terms of Montana and its status as a program. Because... We've seen several programs, some of the most prestigious programs in the country, all levels of college football, get stuck where the history of the place is so important to the place and the current and future of that program, yet the shadow that that history casts is so profound that it alters everything that happens within the program, a la Texas and Nebraska. I often wonder, is Montana Texas and Nebraska? I don't know. But at Texas, it do- Texas has not been nearly as bad as the national media wants you to think Texas has been since Mac Brown retired. But anything 9-3 and three isn't good enough at Texas. Nothing's good enough at Texas except for 13-0 and, and national champions, and Nebraska's the same way. I mean, at this point, Nebraska's been so knocked down, 9-3 and three would be a welcome change in Nebraska, but still... Many of the diehard fans are longing for the mid-90s multiple in a row national championships. and, And so I think it's one of the biggest challenges Montana has. How do you escape from the shadow of the past?
4: Yeah. Same thing at USC, even a place like Notre Dame it's like we always say, your greatest strength is also your biggest weakness. You can't escape that question at at places like that and like at Montana. And on one hand, it gives you something to shoot for and it gives you advantages in recruiting still and advantages in fundraising, of course, but at the same time, you'll never escape it.
0: Nuanas now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, Andrew Houghton joining me, Coulter Nuanas. We're talking all things uh, Big Sky Conference, specifically at this moment, University of Montana Sports. This segment is presented to you by Nick Tabor and Westpac Wealth. Westpac Wealth making your life more tax efficient. Whether you need business succession plans or estate planning, give Westpac Wealth and Nick Tabor a call. Today, I talked with Brian Holzinger, the new Lady Grizz head coach, about this because Brian Holzinger has Montana ties. He was at Montana Tech for several years. His staff is rich with Montana ties. I mean, Jordan Sullivan's Robin Sulvick's sister's daughter, for God's sakes. So, I mean, she knows the Lady Grizz history better than anybody, but Nate Harris and, J- and Jocelyn Tinkle all also very intertwined in the history of the program. But I talked with Holzinger about this because the Lady Grizz women's basketball program has among, if not the most prestigious and impressive history and lineage of any single program in the Big Sky Conference, period, any sport. I mean, this Street and Smith magazine, which is one of the longtime documentarians of college hoops, named the University of Montana Women's Basketball Program as the seventh greatest program in the history of Division I basketball, behind only programs like UConn and Tennessee and Louisiana Tech, and I can't remember who else was up there, but they were number seven. And uh, Stanford had to be in there too. But I think that the number one thing that crushed... Shannon Schwein's tenure as the head coach of the Lady Grizz was the past. She wasn't Robin Selvig. There, there was no replicating Selvig's model. Nobody can replicate Selvig's model. Then everybody wondered well, why can't the, the person who's the greatest player in his program's history, who then also worked for him for 27 years, why can't it be replicated? It was a moment in time that will never be replicated again. And so that's why I think with the Lady Grizz, Holzinger said, when I asked him this, he said, hey, we're trying to embrace the history of this place as much as possible because it is one of our greatest advantages, but we also have to embrace it by 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 not trying to repeat it. In other words, no one else is going to be Robin Selvig. You can't just recruit girls from Class B schools in Montana and then develop them. Robin Selvig could. He could get girls that played Class B basketball in, in Montana high schools to become all-conference players. It's very rare, if not impossible, for other people to be able to do that, other coaches to be able to do that. So, Holzinger said, hey, we're going to use the history of this place, but we're going to do it in a complete different fashion. And now here you see it. They're recruiting internationally. They're recruiting in areas that they've never recruited from. I can't remember, even Colorado, I can't really ever remember the the last time the Lady Grizz had players from Colorado, let alone the Midwest and let alone abroad. And so it'll be interesting to see how it works, but I think it's an interesting, interesting dynamic because the history of the place overwhelms a lot of the University of Montana's athletic programs. And it's very funny, actually, when you think about the men's basketball program, how much they've embraced that and used it to their advantage for 40 years, but then how it is sort of this omnipresent challenge that both the Grizz football team and the Lady Grizz basketball teams have.
4: The problem with that history and at every school that we've talked about this is that it locks you into one way of doing things because why would you change when you have had that run of success when you've won the conference title for over a decade at Montana football? Why would you change or at a place like Nebraska or with the Lady Grizz basketball program? But at the same time, while you're not innovating, all those teams that you're beating every year are. So if you're not staying ahead of the curve, eventually you're falling back because your exactly history right. is trapping you in the same cycle. And all these places, I mean, in the in Big Sky Women's Basketball, John Newley at Idaho, he's shooting a million threes a game because he's innovating because he has to beat the Lady Grizz. Exactly. Seton Sobolewski at John Idaho Newley State. John Newley created his style to beat Robin Selvig's zone. Exactly. Exactly. Seton Sobolewski at Idaho State is recruiting half his roster from overseas every year because he has to to beat Robin Selvig at Montana. in In the Big Sky Conference football, I mean... This exactly is, right. This the, is, the, the, but the Grizz
0: set the pace for the
4: rest of the league. Absolutely. But in Big Sky Football, this is why you see so much stylistic diversity. I was talking with Idaho State defensive line coach Byron Hout today about exactly this. He's been in the league for a while because he coached at Montana State. Asked him about the stylistic diversity of offenses in the league, which we've pushed all the time. I asked him, you know, with Cal Poly out of the league, does it become easier to prepare week to week because you're not seeing the triple option? Or not with Cal Poly out of the league, with Cal Poly not running the triple sure, option anymore. Sure, sure. He's like, no, it's just as varied as it's ever been and a lot of that I think came out of Montana's dominance in the league in the 2000s that's why you have the spread offenses at Eastern Washington Jay Hill coming back to defense all these guys had to innovate to keep up with Montana and Montana it's, it's hard to say they weren't innovating but that history of success traps you into doing the same thing
2: Bobcats are back at home this coming Saturday. It's the Pack the Place in Pink game, and it's a 1 o'clock kickoff too. We'll be tailgating right there in front of Town of Country Foods, and we'll have this guy with us too. It's Coulter Nuanez from com with our first look at uh, Saturday's game brought to you by First Security Bank. And uh, Colter, you weren't uh, the score was a little off last week, but you, you, picked, the, you picked the game. Bobcats went in there and, and beat Weber State.
0: Really good win for the Bobcats. Uh, Weber State, their defense as advertised. I also thought it was very fascinating to watch Brent Vegan uh, manage that game because I think it was very indicative early on that Montana State's defense was playing outside of their minds. I mean, man, they were playing well. And I think Coach Vegan knew, hey, we get a lead? Let's just sit on this thing because we ain't giving up any points. Weber State had 10 yards rushing after the first drive of the game. That's right. 10 in the entire football game. That's an astounding number considering Weber State has Josh Davis, one of the great running backs in the country, a multi multiple time All-American who eventually actually unfortunately Montana State knocked out of the game I actually think his season is probably over because it did not look pretty for Josh Davis but a phenomenal defensive performance by the Bobcats and once they got that second field goal and they were up by six points that lead seemed like a 60 point lead because the defense was playing so well and so then yeah they didn't get to my 27 points that I predicted part of that is just because Weaver State is really good on defense as well but part of that was because once Montana State got up they decided to let Daniel Hardy and the defense just own the day and that's exactly what the Bobcat defense did so very important Impressive performance, and uh, here we are, Dave. Bobcats keep rolling six in a row coming into this uh, Saturday's home game.
2: They also moved up in the rankings, too.
0: Moved up to number eight. Uh, this is actually a point of big consternation for me. I've had a vote in the Stats FCS poll for many years. And then when the COVID year hit and then there was the spring season that didn't include the Montana teams, they reallotted and redistributed all the votes. And so many of the voters in the big sky and uh, specifically in the state of Montana, we all lost our votes. And that kind of sucks because... Uh, yeah. I mean, who represents Montana people better than Montana people, right? And so I I just think that the Bobcats are getting less votes than they deserve. I think they're absolutely a top four, top five team in the country. I can't believe that they just now broke into the top ten. I know they played sort of a soft schedule early on, but this team has unbelievable talent, elite talent, nationally elite talent, and uh, I, I can't imagine that there's more than four or five teams in the country that are as good or more talented than Montana State. So I actually think number eight this week is underrated for MSU.
2: Talking with Colter Nuwana at SkylineSportsMT.com, getting ready for the Bobcat game on Saturday against Idaho State. And before we talk about Saturday's game, I just got to ask you one more thing about last week. Uh, really, it's a grizzly question. So they lost. Uh, with the, the Grizz, the, they're they're kind of having some issues up there in the Zula, aren't they?
0: So, <laughs> here's a look behind the curtain. So, I run SkylineSportsMT.com. We cover Montana State, Montana, and the rest of the Big Sky in that order very heavily. I also host a daily radio show that originates in Missoula that's broadcast statewide on ESPN Radio as well as SWX Montana Television. And I also have this podcast network at Big Sky uh, the Big Sky Breakdown as well as four other podcasts. And uh, here we are, Dave, talking, uh, leading up to this game. And I've already spent 13 recorded hours this week talking about just the Grizz loss to Sacramento State. I think that's how much people are freaking out about it. I think that's also uh, just how much people care. Uh, But also, I think it just marks the, the historic nature of the win. I mean, Sac State has only beat Montana three times ever. And that was the first time that Sac State has ever come to Missoula and posted a victory. And now Sac has beaten Montana twice in a row. 2019 in Sac. And... On Saturday in Missoula, I like to look at things sometimes where credit where credit's due. I think that uh, Sac State's a good team. Troy Taylor is eleven and one in his two years at Sac State against Big Sky opponents, so they've proven it a little bit in that facet. Sac State has tremendous coaches. Andy Thompson's one of the best defensive coordinators in the league. Ironically, he's a former Grizz linebacker. It was the twentieth anniversary celebration for Montana's two thousand one national championship team on Saturday. Coach Thompson played on that team, so a homecoming for him and ability to show out uh, with his new product there uh, with the Hornets. That's all to say though, the Grizz are struggling mightily. They have a really hard time manufacturing anything on offense. The injuries have mounted profound. I mean, six-year senior Cam Humphreys out at quarterback. Gabe Solser, one of the star receivers, is out. He's a part returner and a slot guy. He's out indefinitely defensively. Senior defensive end uh, Joe Babros is out. Senior defensive end Justin Belknap's banged up. Junior defensive end Deary Todd is out. Uh, They've had guys in and out of the lineup across the board. Senior safety Gavin Robertson has been out. So they have a ton of injuries. But that's all to say that the Grizz have just not looked as good as they did the first month of the year. They've really really struggled these last couple weeks. And uh, I think that there's so many different factors that go into it. I don't think it's one big thing. If it was one big thing, I think that they would fix it. But I think it's a million different little things that have now become one big thing now you have a team that's sort of facing this crossroads because they beat Washington to open the year they were phenomenal uh coming out the gates the first three games of the year but when the injuries started mounting now a whole bunch of other things have sort of sprung up as well so it's a huge game in Moscow on Saturday as uh, Montana goes to to play a reeling Idaho team as well I still think the Grizz will will get on track and I think they'll be rolling by the time the rivalry game rolls around here in about a month but that said it's been a far cry from what they were the first month of the year no doubt.
2: Yeah, I think the fan base for the Grizz is a little nervous right now cuz you know they had that big win against Washington to start the season off and you know they were feeling pretty good about their chances against Montana State cuz I know that's on their mind since they've lost four in a row and now they're I I think the again the fan base is probably going, "Man, I wonder if we can beat Montana State now." And that's got them worried.
0: There's no question, man. I think that, you know, I've I've made my career on producing content that is consumed by the two most ferocious and passionate fan bases in the Big Sky Conference, and those are the fan bases of the Bobcats and the Grizzlies. And my my concise analysis is that Bobcat fans are very uh, engaged and educated and analytical, but also uh, sort of pessimistic because so many Bobcat fans suffered for so long during the streak in the 90s and the, into the 2000s when Montana beat Montana State 16 years in a row. That said, Montana State has had the upper hand in this rivalry for the last decade, yet there's still this uh, this hesitancy uh, by Bobcat fans, which I think is a good thing. It actually makes the fan base very pleasant to deal with. On the Grizz side of things, the best way I can describe the fan base is manic. They are, they're as high as a high can be when it's really high, and they're as low as low can be when it's really low. Like I live in Missoula. I'm talking to you on the phone from Missoula and uh you would have thought the Grizz were going to win the freaking Super Bowl when they won when they beat Washington and you would think now that the sky is falling with the fact that they lost to Sac State so it's great to be a part of this because it's awesome having people care so much it is just really funny though because Grizz fans they are very excitable but they also think uh, doomsday scenarios when things don't go so well
2: all right, we're getting ready for the game. Our game Saturday, Bobcats hosting Idaho State. Pack the place at pink game. It's a 1 o'clock kickoff. What do you look for uh, to be happening at Bobcat Stadium on Saturday?
0: Well, Idaho State, uh, led by Rob Fennessy, who himself was at Montana for 7 years, so he very well, uh, he knows the Bobcat's very well. Uh, his daughter goes to school at Montana State, so I know he spent a lot of time in the off season when he's not working in Bozeman, you know, visiting his daughter, getting her set up, squared away, all that. So there's some some serious ties here. Idaho State's offensive coordinators Mike Ferriter, who's a hell of a guy, who uh, played receiver for the Grizz. Idaho State's defensive coordinators Roger Cooper, who's one of the greatest Bobcats of all time. 2004 Big Sky Conference MVP, as a linebacker there at MSU. And Idaho State's defensive line coach is Byron Hout, who uh, most recently coached at Montana State under Jeff Choate. So a ton of ties, ton of crossover between the staffs. Idaho State, while not expected to be a league title contender, was expected to be competitive in the league. I think they were picked sixth in the preseason poll in a 13-team league and they're 1 and 5. That said though, their one win is over a UC Davis team that was ranked number 8 in the country at the time. So they have beaten the number 8 team in the country already and that's what Montana State is ranked this week. I think Idaho State has some some fundamental uh disadvantages in this game. Tyler Vanderwall, who again another tie, Brent Vegan spent the last 7 years at Wyoming. He recruited Tyler Vanderwall to Wyoming and Vanderwall played for Vegan at Wyoming at quarterback. Well, VanderWaal then transferred to Idaho State. He was one of the breakout stars of the spring season – Uh, that Idaho State participated in but then he's been hurt and so the biggest disadvantage Idaho State has is they're rolling with true freshman Hunter Hayes Hayes is a talented kid but he's a kid I mean he's 18 years old he's a true freshman that's a really hard uh, road to hoe when you're a a true freshman quarterback at the division one level so I think that's one disadvantage but I mean Malachi Rango the Idaho State running back has been out Idaho State has some injuries on their offensive line their defense has not been good particularly against the run so I think this is a reeling Idaho State team that's been struggling and it's a rolling Montana State team that's playing with as much confidence as anybody in the country so I think all signs point towards Montana State being heavy favorites in this game but as we know anything can happen but I think that this from a schematic and personnel standpoint Bobcats huge favorites at Bobcat Stadium on uh, Saturday afternoon.
2: How's our health going into Saturday?
0: This has been the most amazing thing for the Bobcats because I uh, just reeled off a million injuries for Montana and a dozen injuries for Idaho State and Montana State have been almost immune to that. I don't really know how they've been able to do it. I guess James Campbell, uh, a corner that's expected to be a starter, he's been uh, waiting to come back into the lineup. And uh, I'm just racking my brain trying to think of, of anybody else. Uh, Coy Steele, punt returner and receiver, he remains out. I think he'll be out for uh, indefinitely. But other than that, Montana State, I mean, all of their headliners, all the guys that you want to be All-American-type players for MSU, whether it's Troy Anderson or Chase Benson or Daniel Hardy or Mondre Williams, Ty Okada, Jeff Manning, Trey Webb, Taylor Sopo, Lewis Kidd, Isaiah Fonse. every single one of those guys is healthy. And that's why Montana State, in my mind, is the team to beat in the Big Sky Conference right now.
2: All right, we're going to see them this Saturday, 1 o'clock kickoff. It's the Pack the Place in Pink game out at Bobcat Stadium. It's Coulter Nguan at SkylineSportsMT.com, and you can. we're going to save your prediction for the tailgate. Everybody wants to know so they can come by and hear it in person.
0: Got to love it, man. Look forward to seeing you in person, Dave. Appreciate you for always having me every week, and that should be a fun day in Bozeman on Saturday.
2: Can't wait. We will see you then.